Chapter 1. How and Why A single token is worth a second. How that math adds up, I couldn't even begin to tell you. What I do know is that, no matter how much I tried to find it, life really was better. For everyone. Everywhere. I wouldn't doubt it if it still is. Everything accommodated and accounted for, all because we shifted our collective frame of reference. The cycle of wake, eat, work, eat, sleep, became mundane to even the studious. A broken way of thinking that, even after forgetting that a meal was missing from that equation, took a while to, finally, be shaken loose from society. In short, we call them tokens because life, for the most part, is a game. This isn't a history lesson, though, my dear. It's a glimpse into why what happened, happened. And to how good people turn bad, then back again. And why independence from truth is to shun enlightenment. For too long I've wondered whether I'd be good at anything else. After eleven years working from a chair in my home office, reality tends to become less and less real. HFC 2-625,630 I'm a human file checker. Probably the most boring job on earth. The numbers differentiate me from every other employee at the company. It's not my name. But you're not an idiot. You know that. My deepest wish, however, is that by the time you've read, watched, Listen to this. Hopefully HFCs won't exist anymore. Hopefully, someone will realize how much people don't need to be checked up on. A little privacy never hurt anybody. Though, no matter how disconnected I may feel, I'm never discontent. Everything can be had. It's a glutton's paradise. I mean, you don't have to be one to enjoy yourself, but it definitely feels more luxurious if you are. Especially if you want to drive a high-end coupe to a five-star restaurant on a Wednesday just because you can. It's simple, really. The town supports itself. If we ever want or need help, we get it from the city. The city supports the state. The state maintains the laws passed down by the federal government. The federal governments of the world communicate with each other leaving the individual to be, and do, whatever, and whomever, they choose. Everyone feels important, because everyone is. How and why that is will make sense soon enough. Two days ago, yet again, my mind used forgotten and unresolved images to try and frighten me. I don't have nightmares often. No one does, really. Not anymore. So when anyone is graced with the presence of an evening terror or two, it becomes the focal point for their fifteen minutes of fame. At least, in their circle of friends. A vast desert sprawled out around me. No, it was more of an unfurling, as if the desert was a flower-carpet hybrid blossoming only in my presence. A disused train track marks the unknown distance from horizon to horizon before me and after me. 
A sandstorm blew a single tumbleweed up against my shin. I looked down and smiled. As I went to touch it, the wind picked up tremendously. Barely able to keep my feet planted on the ground, the spontaneous cacti and rusted tracks, an unending desert disappeared in a swirling howl that was misplaced beachfront. Just as the sand filled my eyes, as if my vision was limited to the contents of inside a human-sized hourglass, I woke up. Grateful that the dream-term nightmare was as short as it was, I rose from the bed. Intent on relieving myself, I headed for the bathroom. As I approached the door to the most sacred room in any home, it, inexplicably, melted and molded itself into a wall. In a state of expected disbelief, I reached out my left hand to touch it. You know, just to see if it was real. As soon as my fingertip made contact with the smooth surface, a dark gray horse began drawing itself onto the wall. Birth from my finger, it galloped deeper into the now three-dimensional wall. Connected to a ten-foot invisible tether, I was pulled against my will toward the unknown. The sky, deftly painted by the setting sun, began turning to ash. The dancing flames of the great sphere in the sky dimmed ever so slightly as the loudest thunderclap that I've ever heard nearly deafened me. I winced in terror, burying my face in my elbow pits, still being dragged through the air toward what seemed to be my doom. At a moment's notice, I witnessed crimson droplets falling at a snail's pace toward the parched earth below me. Try as it did, the rusty downpour would not cling to the delicate hairs of the steed ahead of me. As strong winds whipped past my entire body, as if I was falling parachuteless from a great height, behind me, my bedroom remained no more than three feet away. As we approached a vast city, soaking in blood, the road leading to it seemed to become congested. What was once indiscernible to me now became simultaneously known and unknown. Mammoth-sized roots exploded out of the ground, trying to wrap themselves around the sun. In an eye flutter, they sprouted branches and became the largest oaks that have ever needed to exist. These mountain-sized trees in unison, slowly swayed on the left side of the road. They screamed, in agony, that they wanted to be remembered. Opposite them, all manner of technological wonders clamored over each other to get a look at the natural monstrosities. Waterproof electric shavers, truck-sized AC motors, 3D printers, low-orbit satellites, electric cars, hydroelectric cruise liners, and even smartphones illuminated the entire spectacle. Though they were dwarfed, hidewise, by the mile-high foliage, the only sound that the technology made was a collective hum. It almost seemed as if they were meditating, or waiting for the inevitable. The tether, securing me to the incarnated nightmare, abruptly slackened. I found myself, suddenly, almost a hundred feet behind the galloping beast, 
just barely touching its hind hooves, I could now see inflamed lava following closely behind this stallion, instantaneously igniting any and everything in its wake. The trees crackled, roaringly, as they were swallowed by the beast's hell trail. The man-made wonders gave way to dolly physics, melting into the blood-soaked dirt below. No matter how intense they became, I could see the flames, but I could not feel them. A second thunderclap punched me in the chest. As far as my eyes could see, the two town-sized mounds met. The road that I had been traveling along disappeared entirely. I was completely encircled, charred wood resembling coal chose not to ignite as it mingled with the molten steel and copper. Cooling fast, the plethora of new mounds around me became a field of brown and green, both natural and artificial. Gathered up in gargantuan heaps, the lush landscape, still watched over by an unending sky of soot-tinted death, wafted the most sumptuous tuft of dew to my nostrils. That's the best way I can describe that smell to you. A sumptuous tuft of dew. The deluge of vein water being released from the clouds above was suddenly cut by a powerful streak of sunlight. In its targeted spot, I could just barely see the horse, kneeling its head down. Suddenly, zooming in on an illuminated area, what the horse was doing became infinitely clearer. A man, all dressed in white, clutched an empty bow in his left hand. On his head, a jewelless crown was slightly tilted, but securely fastened. As he lied on a field of motherboards and mulch, silhouetted people in the background were sifting through the remains around them. They paid no mind to the fact that there was a horse-on-man feast occurring in their midst. For no good reason, I shot back into the room. The speed was so great that I might as well have teleported. I looked at the wall on my left. Believing that any journey leads to wisdom, I touched it. A pristine window formed from under my fingertip. Outside of it sat a red Enzo Ferrari. A bow, clean and tidy, was wrapped around the high-end car. It had clearly never been driven. Amongst the clouds, a biplane sky wrote, Kwailai Kankan. To this day, my purposeless ignorance of foreign linguistics still prevents me from knowing what that read. Slowly pulling back, back, into an unknown house, a shoulder, and, then, a right arm, torso, and desk, came into view. In the hand of the well-dressed man was an expensive red pen. Don't ask me why, but the man favored the early 21st century television producer Ryan Seacrest. A little too much to be considered subtle, if I'm being honest. He was signing document after document, almost as if his life depended on it. Pulling back again ever so slightly, I witnessed the gray beast making a meal of the besuited man's left hand. There seemed to be no pain for the gentleman. Contrarily, both he and the horse 
seemed to be quite pleased with themselves. The multitasking man in question repeatedly laughed two words. Their minds? Before I could make sense of what I was seeing, I found myself again back in the bedroom. I looked to my left, behind the bed, and wondered what I may be frightened by this time around. I ran toward that wall. On this third wall, my finger formed a line that coiled outward. The black, perforated line seemed to vibrate in place. Around my forefinger, the now familiar phrase Kulai Kankan was etched in the ground below. As the thirteen-bar-deep spiral stopped, I pulled my finger away. As I did, a seventy-seven-story office building formed beneath it. I know it was seventy-seven stories because it was the Chrysler building. I heard a muffled voice echoing repeated sentences. I couldn't quite make them out. However, as I strained my eyes, I could barely discern that each individual dot was a group of people. I couldn't hear them, but they looked gaunt. Every one of them. At the top of the steel spire, a golden scale, untarnished by weather or time, balanced nothing. A plaque adorning it read, Una Aurium Unum Mensum Ministerio. Deeply engraved on the weighing plates were a single phrase each, Quadra Cinta Denarius and Menstrua Participus. From the top of the structure, a loudspeaker continued its now clearly recognized as English recorded loop. Natural is tenfold. Artificial is normal. Nourishment from labor. Uncontrollably flying backwards, the building again became the size of an exterior architectural model. Just before the tower was small enough to be considered an anthill, the twice-witnessed steed graced me with its presence. Without hesitation, it proceeded to devour the building. Unfortunately for the people below, their innards were polishing the hooves of the equestrian monstrosity. I pulled my hand away. Looking down at my palm, and then around the room, I wondered if the final wall was worth going toward. I mean, why not stay in the room? There was a floor-to-ceiling television that rose from the ground with a remote. I didn't see it, mind you, but I did see the remote. I knew that remote. It was a Wi-Fi nano. They only do one thing nowadays. I threw caution to the wind and headed for the final wall. The longest dream that I've ever had was definitely entertaining. That goes without question. However, as I touched the last surface, I found myself surrounded by nothingness. I blinked a few times, but nothing changed. Then, without warning, the thrice-wise monstrosity appeared. Seeming to be upon an unseen floor, the horse tilted its head back and bellowed a neigh. As the echo died down, a deep, booming voice shattered my eardrums. I could just barely make out what was said. Why I gone, gone. After zooming into him, for no apparent reason, 
The devilish beast exploded into a peripheral filling flood of white light. Startled, I woke up in an unfamiliar apartment. Whelmed with an unwarranted sense of fear, I jumped out of the bed. Pulling back the heavy drapes, I saw a vast metropolis far below me. Without my consent, I permeated through the window. As I began to glide over the city, deftly maneuvering on invisible currents of aviary conveyance, I started to fall. No rhyme, no reason, just gravity pulling harder and faster than necessary. For a split second, I thought I smelled wax. Suddenly, finally, I actually woke up. Covered in sweat before I even had a chance to look, my hand searched the other side of my bed. Empty. She must be in the attic, I whispered without missing a beat. Truth be told, I'm not sure what worried me more. The fact that I had an overtly religio-political nightmare vision, or that it occurred in a triple dream. My penchant for narcissism was leading me to place an emphasis on the latter. And why shouldn't it? I feel, therefore, I am. <laughs>